welcome to Miracle Nutrition with Hardy White. I'm Hardy White. Join me now for a full hour of dreaming. Yes, you heard that correctly. You are asleep and dreaming. And I promise not to wake you. Never wake a dreaming person. But we can dream together. Can't we? Oh, my friends, if you care what's going on, if you are a curious person, if you are interested in what's new, if you're always searching for knowledge and answers and things, oh my goodness, have I got news for you. I don't know if it's news for you because I don't know what you know, but I have something to tell you. I'm very excited about it and also very disturbed about it. I believe that last night I was in someone else's dream. I was living in someone else's dream. Just a character. It wasn't my dream. I'm used to being in my own dreams, you know, walking around thinking, ah, is this a bakery or a battlefield? Should I kill the guy making donuts? But this was clearly someone else's world. I could tell because it felt alien. It felt different to me. I thought, this is not a world that I would have created in my head. So I'm playing a role in someone else's dream. I walked around thinking, what am I supposed to do? Who am I? What kind of hardy white am I to this dreamer? So I have to be thinking, what would the dreamer expect of me? What hardy white do they want? Well, hello. I care about your heart. So I go around saying this to everyone because like I said, I don't know who's dreamer and who's cast member. Now I'm thinking that they're all cast members just like me because they seem confused. And maybe, and I think this in my most paranoid moments, is there no dreamer? But I go around anyway, acting like Hardy White, trying to guess what I'm supposed to do and I don't know if I'm doing it right in this dream. And you could tell other people when they interact with me. You can tell they think maybe Hardy's the dreamer. And so they act in a certain way, trying to meet my expectations. And I want to laugh and tell them, no, no, I'm just an actor like you are. I have no idea who's the main character. We're always searching for that. So come with me. We're going to look. Whose dream is this? Whose dream am I in? What am I supposed to do? I know that you've probably experienced it in real life, too. Have you ever gone to a party? And a lot of people around there, maybe they have very good professions. Oh, my goodness. I love to be surrounded by accomplished people, on one hand, because it makes me feel, hey, I'm in the company of real go-getters. I'm in the company of doers. I'm in the company of achievers. I'm surrounded by geniuses. And then I also think, oh my Lord, I'm an idiot. Look at all these people and I compare myself to them and I think about my career. And then they ask me what I do and I say, I'm a high school Latin teacher. That's not, that's a lie. Or you could say, I work at Lowe's or something. Or maybe you say, I'm in between jobs. And then they look at you like you're a dog. So sometimes I say, I'm a dog, and they laugh, and they say, no, what, and I say, no, I'm an actual dog, and I live in the park, I don't even have an owner, I just scrounge around, I'm a dog, and they say, well, you're talking, and I say, well, I didn't say I was a stupid dog, I'm still articulate like yourself, but bark, and that feeling of being kind of alienated from it all, because maybe it isn't your dream, somebody else's world. I wouldn't even know enough to do one of those roles. They got to get somebody else to play them in the dream. I wonder if I could imagine myself it, if that would be enough. I don't want to lie to people at these parties. You know, what, uh, Hardy White, is it? Yes, it is. Yeah, what is it that you do? Oh, I am a thoracic, thoracic surgeon. Excuse me? I've been my... Pathetics, surgeon, is that anything? 
So, and then maybe they uh, mistake you for being, uh, having a skill you don't have. Now, I've done that before, trying to get a job. They go, do you understand this uh, computer language? And I go, oh, yes. What is it again? Yes, I do, or something like that. Because I think, well, once I get my foot in the door, you know, maybe I can squeeze the rest of myself in there, and then I might be hard to get out the door. That's what I'm hoping when I get hired, that it's like a poltergeist hire. And they go, oh, you, you asked me, you hired me. Are you saying that you were wrong or stupid or decisions that you make are bad? So I think if I can get into the company, I'm auditioning right now for your company. It's not called auditioning, is it? But it is like that because you play a part. You go to this job interview and you have to guess what the role, they don't even tell you the role, really. You have to guess what it is. It's like, yeah, oh, I'm going to try out for a Shakespeare. Which Shakespeare? I don't know. Well, what are you going to wear? I don't know. A cape? I, you know, you try to wear something that might be a catch-all. Some kind of a crown, but not a crown. So you go to the job interview, and they ask you these questions. And you can even go online ahead of time and see, you know, what are you supposed to, what insincere things are you supposed to answer to these people? And then you deceive them, and then they hire you, and then apparently, you know, there's, it's, you're more difficult to get rid of, and you can insinuate yourself, and, or find out there was nothing really going on at all, and you can kind of take over. And you go, oh, my goodness, no one's really in charge here. We're all, a, no one is, uh, really knows what's going on. Everyone's afraid and confused. Perhaps I am the dreamer, and you can start acting like it's your dream. Some people do that, and I think they're more successful. Oh, I'm the one who's dreaming. Oh, hi, good. Oh, I'm so relieved because I've, I'm exhausted. Yes, I'm the one who's dreaming, and uh, there, uh, there's a battle of Atlantis that is going on around your head conducted by aliens. Oh, I'm glad you can see. I'm so relieved that somebody knows what's going on, and I'm ignorant to all that. Well, yes, I'll tell you what's right, and that's good. So I just depend on others like that. Because, gosh, I'm confused. From my perspective, a lot of things aren't knowable. Or if they are, it's very difficult. But it's all these confident folk have got it. Bless them. That's something else. It's nice to be around confident people. That's why people put down like crazy fanatic cults. But, gosh, it's just nice to see people have already settled on a worldview. And such a nice, limited, manageable one. You say, here it is. It's so much simpler than you think it is. Um, and, you know, they may have something to it because I know when I do talk to mathematician friends and everything, they're always talking about, oh, this is very elegant. I go, what do you mean? I go, look, it doesn't have a lot of, you know, it's the minimum amount of things. There's an elegance to it. If there's too much, if it's too Baroque or Rococo, you're, you're <laughs> I guess that doesn't apply to math formulas. But they like things that are, that are simple, simple formulas and things like that. They, they assume that must, they must be true then, uh, if it's simple. But when we apply that to, to worldviews, sometimes we go, hmm, I don't know. If a, it, does a clown really run anything? Yes, a clown with one orange puff on one side of the head and a green puff on the other side, and their nose is made of planets and galaxies, and when they open their mouth to laugh, that's where gravity comes from. And they go, okay, that's awesome. That is kind of complex. Yes, but that's it. That's all there is to it. And everything else is variations on that. Oh, my friends, I don't have many answers for you. In, in fact, I don't have the opposite either. I'm not here to sow doubt. What is that like? Just like Johnny Appleseed sowing apples or whatever he did. He didn't do a very good job. I've never, I don't see many apple trees. So go, Johnny Appleseed crossed the country strewing these apple seeds where? Because I don't know, is there an apple seed trail we can go down where we can see them all? Because I feel like he did a very poor job. Are you sure he wasn't throwing around pine cones? Because I can see that now. You can, from that, you can trace that all the way down the coast and all through the country. But the apple seeds, he had more. He had a better publicist than uh, than Jenny Jenny Pinecone did. But uh, she did a better job, really, you know, and of course she didn't get any credit. Now, when I am examining a dream, 
It's strange to me that I get to sleep and dream within the dream. But I guess that tracks. Because if I was the dreamer and I was dreaming a world, then I would imagine that others were dreaming too. I just didn't, wouldn't really care what they were dreaming, and it could be random that way. You know, you wouldn't have to care about it. So as an extra, as a character here, I find that there's a lot of absurdity or greeking. What is that? So when you're doing a, a, lay, a layout or something, used to in the old days, and there'd be a place for text, sometimes they'd put in what they called Greek. And it's just, it's just uh, letters, not Greek letters necessarily, but uh, just letters, but they're meaningless. They're just filling space. So you see, this is where the type is going to go. This is where the text will go. But it's all Greek to me is the expression, right? Because that's the hardest language that's ever been invented, apparently, in the human consciousness. But I believe that when we're dreaming in somebody else's dream, it's just Greek text. It's just stuff that's supposed to look like reality. And it isn't, it's, sometimes it's close and sometimes it's not. It seems to be a placeholder so that it seems like we're, we're dream is all this true? Oh, yes. Why wouldn't it be true? I don't know. It's not. I'm telling you, I, I dreamt it last night. So that's true. If I was telling you a story, like if I'm telling you what went on in the Three Stooges short, you might say to me, is that true? And I go, yeah, that is true, what went on in the Three Stooges short. But I do, do I think that they were Civil War soldiers? No. That part was theater. Well, where's the theater stop? Was the war itself theater? They did have costumes. Well, you need that in war. Do you? I mean, I don't know if you need costumes or not. Uh, do you need props? You need war props, proper war props, and things like that, I suppose. Just like you would at a dinner party, which is also a performance. I love those. Those are sometimes more obviously performances. Did anyone ever invite you to something and say, there's going to be a dinner, and it's also a murder mystery? And you say, Christ, no. And they go, not a real one. It's theater. And you go, oh, they thought, like, that's so, that's horrifying. Because, say, you know, there's been a murder at this house, and I thought we'd all go over, look at the crime scene, and maybe have a nosh while we're there. Have a little or more than that. Maybe have actual dinner. And I've got friends in the force, and they're going to let the, uh, the victim's remains stay there so that we can look at it and think, you know, walk around it with our pipes. But it wasn't like that. It's theater. So, and then we decide as we're eating, which I don't know is if that's possible, because here's the thing. I think that's how they disable your, your uh, awareness a little bit, your, your cognition, because as you eat, the blood goes to your stomach to digest the... Um, the Hungarian short ribs, and then your brain doesn't have as much of it as it, as it needs because all the blood's in your stomach. So your brain's going like, I don't know, I wonder who did it. And I think that with... Now, Columbo, I, don't, I know you've seen Columbo, even though it was on many, many years ago now. Oh, my gosh, time's gone by so fast. But it used to be when they recorded TV shows on Wax Cylinder... There was something called Columbo, and Peter Falk was in it, and, and, and you know now, you know, one more thing. But the thing about Columbo I, I think is interesting is they would show the crime first. Like, you know, you knew who did it, right? So you, it was really from the perspective of the criminal. You were the, and it, so it makes you uneasy. So you do it along, you do the crime with the criminal, and then Columbo comes in and he interferes on your life, and you start to feel like, you know, why won't he go away? It's really brilliant, because so they're not revealing the Christ. You know, you're watching him figuring it out, and but you're becoming more, you're just becoming as nervous as Jack Cassidy. And uh, I just think that's that's pretty brilliant. I like that. I wonder if what I could do that would be like that. Can I reveal something to you at the beginning of the show, like who done it, and then you watch me, listen to me, I meant that figuratively, figure it out. Now will Hardy figure out something that we figured out in the title of the show or something like that? The show is called The Butler Killed 
the old man. And uh, it's like I haven't seen the title. And you think, well, is Hardy going to get to it? Is he going to see the clues? Oh, I know that all of you may know what's going on. I surely don't. Oh, I see the human suffering, and I wonder what to do about it. But then my neurology distracts me, and I go, oh, look at that, candy. I wonder if I, should I collect candy? Or if that candy looks like something I remember when I was young. Oh, I remember that cartoon with the basketball players. I wish I had candy with a picture of the basketball players on it. And, it, and I go on down that lovely, colorful rabbit hole and human suffering recedes into the background and I forget where I am and I keep going and I keep flying into the recesses of my own mind and I wonder, oh my goodness, am I going to become deluded like some character on one of these sitcoms, like when the Brady Bunch gets to an island or something with Gilligan, I don't even know, and let's say Gilligan decided never to leave, he just went into a cave and there he had recreated like Synecdoche, uh, New York, the movie, or like the rehearsal. He'd re recreated the whole Gilligan village in a deep cave on the island, and somebody stumbled upon it, and there he is, elderly, Gilligan, frail, acting out his previous life. He can't let go, and he creates this fantasy world, and he lives in it. And he lives in it, and he started to look like all the coconuts that he eats. His hair is thin like the hair on a coconut. There's hair in a coconut? There's hair in a coconut, coconut hair. We all know about that, don't we? You, I know that you lived on a tropical island. No, I'm from a desert island. All right. Well, that's different. Uh, I'm from a rocky precipice. That's, that's not an island, though. All right. I'm from archipelago. Good for you. And I live on a jetty. <laughs> okay, everybody. It's the comments. I would like to, oh my gosh, as we walk through this, a great museum, and we don't know what kind of museum we're in, we look at the walls, we say, is that a painting? Or is that a, a person that's clinging to the wall? What am I looking at? Am I looking at a face? Uh, I had a contact like that the other day, I'm waiting in line to get into a, a show just to watch some kids dance or something. And there's a, I, I see out of the corner of my eye, a, a person come and I go, oh, like that, moan loudly. And uh, they were having uh, trouble walking. They said, there's nothing to lean on. And they were using a lacrosse stick as a cane. And they, I said, well, do you need any help? And they said, that'd be nice, getting to the front of the line. And I said, how would you like me to help you? And, and they, uh, I held up my arm and they didn't hold on to it. And they just sort of, uh, I walked there not helping, helping. I didn't do anything. It was very interesting. And I thought I'm helping, but I wasn't helping. Uh, I was there waiting to help if help was necessary. And then, uh, he got to the place where he could sit down and I just, uh, walked away. And I thought that was interesting. I uh, don't know what went on there just now. I have no idea. I'll never know. And uh, I don't feel better or worse about myself. It was one of those things where other lives beckon you in, you know. I wish I could. I had done more. I, will, I shall help you and transform your life. That's always why I'd love to be a hero. But sometimes I just I find that uh, my job, I look at the script, and it says Hardy gets out of the way. So I step to the side or something. Hardy says nothing. That's hard for me to do sometimes. Just keep my mouth shut. But, you know, you don't always have to involve other people. I don't have to bother other people. Uh, my mother, who I love, is very chatty. And so when she travels, she'll talk to, to people. And they don't want that. By and large, they don't want that. And she doesn't know she's hurting anybody, but I think uh, I think she yeah, I think she's going around, uh, you know, kind of bothering bothering people when they want to be left alone, and because she's lonely, 
So what a terrible person, right? No, it's complicated, isn't it? Who knows what to do? I never get the, uh, there's, if there's a memo, it's not a memo. It can't be. It's got to be a series of books. You ever been like a lawyer's office and you go, what are all these? You go, oh, these are all like, they keep sentencing these books. They're like the laws and everything. They keep changing and amending and everything. And we got to stick stuff in the back of them. And God, it's very confusing. But they just, it just keeps coming. They're more than memos. It's volumes and volumes of arcane rules. That's how you know someone else is dreaming. This can't be from my head. My gosh, I've got it all pared down pretty much. And I wonder about that with people who say, well, I believe that, that the world is essentially a recapitulation of Epcot Center in Orlando. That what you have there is not that Epcot Center is a duplication of the world with your various global countries, but that that itself is reality and that we are all trying to be Epcot. So therefore, the, the first people saw this and the German-themed restaurant there, and then they, they started Germany. So it really comes the other way around. Oh, that's interesting. So the, does the chicken come before the egg? I don't know. Depends what kind of egg it is. Like if it's a dinosaur egg, I'm not, I don't know. I don't know what we're talking about. I, I always, I carry around so many paradoxes with me in my mind because uh, paradoxes are also created from ignorance and lack of understanding too. You know, you think things are, uh, conflict when they don't. You think, uh, well, for instance, Here's, a, here's a, a self-created paradox. I don't have an example, so I'm hoping that I think one as I'm, as I'm speaking. No, I'm no I know I, it's one of those things I know is true even though I have absolutely no evidence. Isn't that funny? No, for, for you know, uh, we'll take the heat paradox or something like that. So sometimes I see myself and I think I'm bald or maybe I'm not bald. And it's always like words like that. I'm fat. No, maybe I'm not fat. Well, what's fat? When, when am I fat? When am I not fat? What's the line? I'm dumb. Am I dumb? I'm not dumb. I don't know where it is. I don't know when the line is. It all has to do with uh, relative things. Like, do my relatives think I'm dumb? And if they do, I don't know whether they get a vote or not. I don't know whether to discount it. Are you confused, friend? Yes, you're leaving me confused then you're in the right place because what this is, what this radio show is, is a place in time where the confused meet to feel normal, to feel like, hey, maybe everybody feels this way. Maybe everybody feels like the answers and the questions keep changing constantly, that I keep changing constantly, that the world is some how familiar and alien at the same time that I understand parts of it, that there are also parts that seem beyond absurd to me, that I cannot get my brain around certain things like suffering or death or loss. At the same time, I don't understand joy or pleasure or all those feelings of euphoria. Oh, I, they're wonderful, but I don't get that either. And I can't always summon up the joy, and I can't always uh, get rid of the joy sometimes when I should be feeling something that's less joyful. Give me an example of that. I don't know, you know, laughing at a funeral or something. How the human heart shifts gears so quickly, especially in grief. Has that ever happened to you? Where one minute, you're sobbing in absolute agony because somebody you love has been separated from you and perhaps permanently and you don't understand. They were there and then they're not there and then something rushes through you. Some great spirit of lightness or unity or absurdity and you begin to laugh or feel the presence of that person and you're your heart goes way up and you look ridiculous as if you're a lunatic. 
It's all in there and all a part of being alive. And it's all nuts. And I understand that. And the, the thing that makes you feel more nuts is the other people's certainty and the apparent ease with which they're going into their roles and, and uh, well, are they, are they wise or are they zombies? There's kind of no telling, you know? Do those people know what they're doing or are they walking around in a trance? Well, gosh, I can't tell. And sometimes I can't tell about myself. Oh, you know, sometimes I wear loud jackets. Loud. What do you mean loud? Well, that's one of my, my family says that. If a jacket has a bright pattern or something like that, that's very loud. They go, well, I don't know whether I come from a people that, uh, that have synesthesia. They say, your jacket's too loud. Or in their ears or something. What do you mean? Orange, loud. Um, but regardless, that's a word they use. But I like that look, right? You know, so I dress a little like that and different colored, maybe even clashing patterns. And I'll walk down the street like that. I don't walk down the street very often. But recently I was walking down the street and I was walking down the street in my clashing patterns, a sort of country Carlton Varney light or something. And uh, people start, they look at me sometimes. And I forget that maybe I have a jacket on that's look edible. And I think, uh, what are they looking at? Is it, am I handsome? Or am I the elephant man? Do I look like a movie star? Or do I look like Charles Manson? Is it my jacket they like? Or is it my jacket they hate? And I have to, well, I don't have to figure it out, but my brain can't stop. Oh, are you like that? Oh, I'd love to get other people out of my head. Hardy, all right, I understand. But guess what? The doors to my head have no lock. Yeah, and they just help themselves and walk in. I hear you. And I've tried to put locks on them and bar them when I shut the door to my head, and the good stuff doesn't get in either. You know, I like to have an open-door policy. I do, too, because I want to... I want to let the good ideas in, too. I want to have an open mind. But all these things also crawl in, like other people's expectations. They come waltzing right in. Who are you? Who is that in my kitchen? I am the person who thinks who is here. To, I'm here to judge you. Oh, okay. Thanks for coming into my intimate space here in my head kitchen. What can I do for you? You know, you are, because you don't believe the same thing that I do. About what? Oh, I don't know. Um, you don't lay, you don't self-label like I do. All right, fair enough. That makes you bad. Okay, well, thanks for coming in, and um, I'll see you later. Goodbye. What? Oh, I got to get up early, man. So if you could just, if you could just take off and leave, my, leave my kitchen. All right. Well, you will be sorry. I'm glad that guy's gone. I believe that when I watch things like um, uh, Andy Taylor's show, that's not what it's called, Mayberry, that's not what it's called, Andy Griffith's show, that's what it's called. It's weird that it's named for the actor and not the character, but that's okay. Kind of arrogant. Maybe it's not a little arrogant or something. Well, Mary Tyler Moore, she's maybe, I don't want, she wasn't arrogant, and there, the actor's named for the show, the show's named for the actor. Uh, so there you go. Well, I know we were talking about something, but that guy who just left my, my mind kitchen took the phone book. And that's where I had the whole show in there, notes in there. So it's gone now. So we'll never know. People come and go. They come and go. They take what they want. Some of them stay there. <gasps> How many have you let sleep there? I remember in my hometown, there was an eccentric who used to stand on the corner. I'm not going to name any names because he's a human being. and I don't, It was a complicated situation. But he was a person who stood on the corner and had, a, had signs up and encouraged people to, to be good to one another or whatever and became a little bit 
uh, romanticized by local students. You know, everybody should be like this fellow who stands on the corner with signs, and they romanticized him, and they, they thought he was something he's not, and they invited them in, and he came into their apartment, poltergeist-like, and refused to leave, and it became a problem, and then he became hostile because they invited in this person from their imagination, and that person from their imagination was stuck to a real human being, and they didn't see the real human being. They just saw this person that they wanted that person to be, except that they were really complicated and had been through a lot of stuff, and that's why they seemed unique in a way. And uh, a lot of times... You think you're seeing clearly, and really, you've stopped seeing. You switch to dreaming. Ooh, you can tell it's not a dream because it's weirder when you're awake. You know, dreams have a limited number of possibilities. They're a limited world. They don't have all the dimensions. There's stuff missing. And then when you get to the waking world, you think, wow, it's filled in pretty good with absurdities, so it's rich in detail, that makes no sense. So I always think about that. I go, this is a, it's just another quality of dream, I guess. But bless it, it's not bad. It's just, it, it's just not right. You can feel it. <laughs> Something's off. <laughs> Am I the only one? Am I the only one? If you feel this way, I feel that's normal. I've never felt more normal than when I feel completely unmoored. I never feel more normal when I feel lost in someone else's dream. That's when I feel like alive. I feel like I've got my eyes open. When I walk around thinking, am, am, I, am I the crazy one? This is all so strange. It never stops seeing, seeming so strange to me. And uh, sometimes it hits home if I get in a kind of a meditative mood and I walk outside and I'll look at a tree and I'll stare at that tree for a while and I start seeing what that tree really is. This weird thing gripping the earth and growing out of it and of it. It's the same substance and it used some sort of weird hidden math that it's hidden in the very small world of atoms and down there and it used that to take things from around it, and everything, <coughs> everything's doing that, just grabbing material and changing its shape. It's just morphing into different things, but it's all the same junk. And sometimes you see it like in trees where they're growing out of the thing that they grab their material from. Sometimes you don't see it like people who are kind of walking around free, like a bubble that broke free. But that's still, it's just the same goo and boy, once you see that, you think, this is crazyville. How is this not strange? Um, I don't believe, I think, <laughs> why isn't it elegant? You know, why aren't we all shaped neatly like the other things out in the universe, all little balls or something like that? Why is everything so raggedy, jaggedy? I don't know. Um, maybe it makes sense. Oh, come on, Hardy. You're, you're thinking too much. I'm not. I'm not. I'm hardly thinking at all. It's just that um, what happens is as you start, um, if you wake up every day and you examine everything, not just um, like you don't take anything for granted. You don't. You re-examine your assumptions if you do it all the time, then you're constantly resetting because you realize that a lot of things that you believe are bologna. And, and then so you recalibrate. Now, for some people, this is very, very scary. And they think, I can't possibly do that because if, I, if that's bologna, then the, the mansion that I built upon the bologna will collapse. And I don't think I'm prepared to have my worldview keep resetting like that. I don't think I'm able to just be a wanderer in the wilderness. I think I need some structure. And, uh, you know, I understand that. Um, but I will say this. I do uh, manage to keep 
pretending. Every day I get up and I put my, my hat on so I can play a certain role. I remember hearing Harry Dean Stanton saying when he started acting, somebody gave him some advice and said, just be yourself and let the costume be the role. So if you're playing a doctor, it's just you in a doctor suit. And that sounded like good advice to me just for living your life, too. What am I right now? What am I wearing? Oh, well, I just have pretty nondescript stuff. I'm wearing a, uh, I'm wearing a Piggly Wiggly shirt, though. And Piggly's, he's looking over my artificial breast pocket. I love this shirt. I'm not, I'm not uh, promoting the business or anything, but I don't know. It's just a cute little pig in a, in a, in a, I hope that's not, I, I'm going to call it a grocer's hat and a butcher, <laughs> butcher's hat. But. And then it's just like little piggy's living in my pocket, but it's not a real pocket. It's also a drawing. But I look down there and I say, you know, I talk to him and I'll say, Piggly, how, how are we doing? Yeah, we're doing good today, Hardy. All right, man. You're going to just go around with me in my pocket and keep me company. I shouldn't be doing that probably. I think there's, there's a clinical name for that where you have to make up other yous and talk to them. But I'd be lonely if I didn't. If I didn't have Butchie and Lou, I don't know what I would do. And... Uh, they unburden me of certain parts of my personality that I don't need all the time, but I don't want to get rid of. Do you feel me? So I don't want to be Butchie all the time, but I want access to Butchie, and I want to hear Butchie's advice, and I want to be able to debate him so that I know what to do or who to be. Same with Lou. I could never be Lou 24 hours a day. My head would explode, but I want him there, and I want to be able to uh, cooperate with him and and, and be a, a team. And there's many other characters in my, in my world that are like that. It's just all, my whole life is a theater company and an imagination and someone else's imagination. I don't even know what we're supposed to do. But, you know, like these imaginative worlds were like that. So imagine you go into, you don't have to imagine, go into one of these virtual realities now, those are beyond your control, right? It isn't your dream. Go into a virtual reality, and you see other people manifesting things, and then you walk around, and you're a character. Now, who are you supposed to be to them? And how are you supposed to know what to be when you didn't create this world? And then you think that someone, who did create it? And what kind of rules did they put in? And who are these other people? And what are we supposed to be doing? Oh, it just keeps going like that, doesn't it? It's just theater. And so I have made in my mind palace a theater company. And we meet and we practice and we rehearse. It's not a new idea. Rehearsing your life is not a new idea. They have the holodeck, everything. We've been doing it for a long time. Theater is one big life rehearsal. We look at all these options. We get to be Macbeth. We get to make bad decisions and watch their consequences. Sometimes we do it on a stage. Sometimes we do it when we're talking to one another. It happens all the time. It's either a rehearsal, a dress rehearsal, a performance, a matinee. It's all going on. And you're so good at it. Oh, you're good at it. As bad as you think you are at it, you're good at it. Because you're still here. I might not be. Oh, come here. In the theater, we hug. You come here. We need you. We need me. I want to be needed when I'm at my weakest. I want to still be needed. So why wouldn't I need you? Why wouldn't I want you? You know, I've been treated lowly. So why wouldn't I understand? I, and I, even now, I go to a party. What do, you, what do you do? And it takes me a minute. I go, I don't know, man. It ain't, you know, it ain't traditional. And I'm not sure this is even what I do. I, I try to, oh, gosh. I wish I didn't give answers where I wanted, you know, I do this and respect me. I wish I could just lie. Because it makes me mad at myself that I immediately fall into somebody else's game, you know, if they're going to do that. So what is it you do? You know, I don't want to be a jerk, but I also can't compete, you know. I'm not, I am a judge, jagajig, jangum, boom, 
in the rooms about, I don't know what I am, man. So, but I, won't, I don't want to be defensive, but I, don't, I also don't want to tell the truth. So, because I don't know if that even answers the question. What do you do? I think I know what they mean. They mean profession. But that's not the way I see the world, really. So I've got to adjust. You know, what do I do? Um, I don't know. Walk. I love to walk. Look at things. Then they think you're being flippant. So sometimes it's hard to be in somebody else's dream. And I understand that. But look for, look for the extras. Look for the extras that know they're extras. That's what I've done. I'd look for the, other, the others who are like, oh, I, get, I, I think I get the, what's going on now. And they just grab a bunch of hats. And they say, you know, I'll just be whatever character the costume requires. And here I am. Maybe there is some part that's like an essential me, a little me in there. Oh, are you in there? Oh, my goodness, my friend, I understand how difficult it is. You know, and for a lot of people, it isn't just about circumstances, too. On top of that, some people's brains change all the time. They feel differently about the same circumstances. You could be content one minute, and the next minute you feel awful. So uh, there's that going on. There's the, the lottery of uh, physical unwellness. There's the threat of catastrophe and accident. There's always the more you love. If you're blessed with lots of people to love, you're blessed with, you're cursed with lots of people to lose at the same time. Everything comes with something else stuck to it. And it's beautiful and scary. But I'll tell you that I haven't figured out much. I haven't figured out much. But I have figured out that there's something about being together in numbers and, and helping. There's something about having the burden taken off yourself a little bit because there's others around you who share it. Like you're all lifting each other up. And you've been in situations like that where if you're with like a dozen people who all care about each other's well-being... Even if it's just for that moment, you know that you dissipate in this lovely way. There seems to be less weight on your shoulders. And all of a sudden, as we're lifting together, you feel lighter and you feel uh, like the spotlight is off you. And that's a wonderful way to feel. And I'm always here waiting for that level of being together and cooperation. Now, in some things, it's obvious, you know, if you if you're have a, a, a loss, let's say you're, maybe you're a Jewish person, you have a death or something, and you say, oh, I'm going to say Kaddish, going to say this, this prayer, this doxology, whatever, this praise, praise of God, and I need a minimum amount of numbers of people to do it. I need a minion. Why? Why do you need it? Because it's a experiential thing that you do with the souls of others. It has to do with being with other people and that lightening your load. You having to be less everything. You don't have to be the dreamer. You know, you can share it all. You can give part of it away for a minute. And you say, come, be, be with me. And let me help me take this burden off for a moment. We all, we all share it and it gets lighter. And it's a beautiful feeling. And that's why, you know, it can go the other way too. You know, people can get in big crowds and they can feel all sorts of things together. And those things could be negative too. You know, get people, they get crowds, get themselves all wee-weed up in hatred and anger in the same way. And they feel emboldened. So you can use it either way. And I want to use it to make us feel better. I want to use it in the love and light way. And I don't know, I, I'm, I'm so lucky because I feel like if I even attempted to say something or, or, or pretend that I wasn't an idiot, that there'd be some pushback. But there's nothing to push back on. Uh, I have a sort of uh, non-philosophy philosophy 
I'm sort of out here selling clouds. So even if you buy it, you can't take it home. There's nothing to get. There's nothing to reject. There's nothing. It's just the sound of my voice. And it might be only sounds. You might use my voice the way you do some sort of white noise machine at night. Go to YouTube and click on a video of a cozy room in a high-rise apartment. And there's a rainstorm outside and it lulls you to sleep. And my voice may be like that. It may be like music. The words aren't important. Oh, yeah, gosh, that's a C major. Oh, yeah, there, now he's hitting a G. But what matters is that you recognize the intervals, and they say something to you. They give you a feeling. Oh, A minor. Oh, oh, now we're cheering up with a major chord. Ah, we all have that power to do that to each other and use the human voice. Now, that's what I'm using. I could use my voice. If you were watching on the television, I might be using my whole body. I might be moving my head this way and that, or gesturing with my hands and my posture. My posture might be saying something to you, convincing you of something, making you feel a certain way, good, more powerful, more loved. Now you might see me uh, adopt an expression of sadness, and I begin to cry, and a tear moves down my cheek, and this moves you, and your mirror neurons kick in, and you begin to cry too, and I yawn, and then you yawn. But here we have the voice, just a voice, and you don't know who I am. I am a player. I am an actor. I am a spirit, I am some sort of, uh, I don't know, what do they call those things uh, where you represent something bigger, like an angel or something, I forget, <laughs> this is a very, it's a very important word, uh, but okay, I forgot it, doesn't matter, I could be that, whatever that is, but Archetype. Gosh, why couldn't I think of the word archetype? I guess that's a lie. It might not be. I could be any of those things, too. And I don't know what I am to you. It's fun to think about, though. What if I'm an annoying guy? That guy, when I think of an annoying voice, I think of that Harmon guy on the, on the radio. And, oh, gosh, his voice. I've heard that said about some people. You know, whenever I heard that broadcaster's voice, it's just so irritating to me. And I always think, I wonder if that broadcaster knows that one of their roles is just being repugnant to someone. <laughs> Can you imagine? Or it could be, you know, you don't know how much you... Someone say, oh, I love Hardy's voice, or it calms me, or the, just the sound alone heals my heart. I like that. I was once kind of given, and I think this is bad advice, there was some sage advice, and it was you should treat all insults and compliments alike. You know, don't take any of them to heart, because it, and the, the idea behind it being that the insults would rob you of your self-confidence, and the compliments might be, uh, contribute to you having too much confidence and the reason is because really neither one is reality. And you really just don't know whether they're true or not or what that person perceived. And so you say the compliments and the insults are treated the same and the sage rises above it. Now, I can't believe that. I can't believe that I should treat love and hate the same because they don't affect me the same, and they aren't intended to affect me the same. And so if someone insults me or hurts me on purpose, I most certainly cannot discount it uh, if discounting it means that I have to discount the love that comes in. Why can't I use them as a sort of acid and base and you know, use them maybe to neutralize one another? 
At the very least, use the compliments to blunt the sting of the insults. And so I don't mind telling you things that might make you feel better. And it's, um, I, there's plenty of people that, that tell you all the things you're doing wrong. And I can't do that because I, don't, I really don't know. And even if I knew you, I'm so wishy-washy about whether you're really doing something wrong. And only you know that anyway. So I trust you. And I'm here for uh, support. And I'm here to cheer you on in a way. Uh, And um, it's not possible to give uh, false hope because all hope is false. So there's just hope and there's not hope. If you're going to dream something, dream the good dream. Everything else will balance it out for you. That's the way I look at it. I don't have to tear myself down and all the, everyone do that for me, the parts that are wrong, they'll reject, I'm, I'm sure. I have this beautiful opportunity. And all this room, every week I step into just the largest room, more room than I possibly need. You know, let's say you were an artist and they say, here's the studio and you walk into an airplane hangar and you go, whoa, what's all this? They go, it's freedom, it's some space. Now, you might end up making something very tiny. I've done this little six-by-six painting of a clown face. Well, that's lovely. But you had this rest of this room. You know, knowing it was there contributed to the execution of this tiny clown face. I'm given an hour. Oh, oh, the things that people jam into an hour. And sometimes I've done that, and, you know, that went so quickly. We're doing so many things. This happened, then that happened. But, you know, I remember when Sesame Street debuted, and they go, God, all these quick cuts. <laughs> because kids, you don't think of that now. You go, oh, this is Sesame Street is not Michael Bay. But believe me, it was of its day, you know, because those most kid shows were really what they call deliberately paced. And they'd have, ah, Cameron, Captain Kangaroo, and he would be standing there in a room and nothing much would change. And they would do that, and they'd go on talk shows and things. you go, oh, he's talking to that guest for 10 minutes. It seems absurd. And everything got quicker and quicker and quicker till we down to little tiny sound bites and things happen in seconds and in seconds. And now we live in a culture of seconds. You have little videos and they all everything has to be less than a bumper sticker. And if it gets longer like that, I'm bored, I'm bored. If you were bored and then drift away. I love it. I love the, uh, the, the people who are left at the end have a different view of life. They look in a way that people look when they go to museums and they spend a lot of time just looking at one painting. And you think, what are they seeing? They're seeing whole worlds. I mean, you have no idea. Well, you do because here you are listening to me. You know, you know, we know. Of the, of how infinite these moments can be depending on what we bring to them. The intention, the awareness, the being in the moment, the thisness, to attitude. You know, just being like, now all this is not, I know you all oh, these sound like all these modern words now. <laughs> I don't know, you know what I mean? I don't know why. Well, sometimes things are just true, but I'm glad people came up with that expression, you know, being present or something. It may seem trite, but I get that. Boy, that spoke to me. I go, God, yes, I was always like, I'm living in the past or I'm living in the future sometimes. Sometimes I'm not even in the now. Now, like I like to consider the future a lot and I consider the past a lot. But sometimes I used to do it at the expense of the moment. So people be talking to me and I'm thinking about what I'm going to say next or thinking about something they did to me years ago and I can't just be present and I'm walking in the woods and I'm thinking about like whether my computer's going to work when I get home or something and I don't pay attention to anything that's going on. 
So I don't mind any kind of jingo lingo that that makes me more aware. I mean, the really the only fear I have is just being making myself blind, not literally, of being willfully ignorant. That's my fear of just closing my my perception off because I'm scared. You know, and I am scared. And I am scared. And I do, I do, it is more than just self-esteem, like when somebody at a, at a party, like it's so kind of primal, even. Feeling inferior to other people or feeling ashamed or like, oh, I've got this, and oh, I don't look right. God, it's, it's deep. It's a big deal. And I think it, it affects humanity. And the course of history in this huge way. Oh, these are the problems that start wars. Uh, that, 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 that cause murder. That's no exaggeration. Because, you know, oh, I, I, I uh, um, you know, I, I think I'm talking about those things regularly when I talk about smelly cheese or um, peeing on your foot. I'm really talking about, you know, morality. <laughs> I think, or something. I don't know what I'm... I, just, oh, I love you. I'm such a fool and, uh, and not a threat. I guess that's all my... All I'm saying is clearly, I don't know what gesture to do, but I'm here to be a fool for you and a non-threatening fool... And I don't need any uh, special, um, I don't need anything from you, I don't think. If I do, I'll ask. Sometimes I, I do if I get, if I, if I need something. Like, you know, I've, it's really bugging me, but I held the door for you the other day, and you walked right through, and you didn't say thank you. And it's not that I need to be thanked. I didn't do it to be thanked, but it was just something, I don't know, I just felt ignored. Those are real things, right? Is that you? Oh, I wish I had a son, uh, a weekly comic strip. I could really nail it a lot, I think. Is that, oh, Boofus uh, or something. I don't know what it would be called, but, you know, Boofus is in an office and somebody makes them feel, Boofus is all being slighted all the time. And uh, I don't know. I'll work on it. I don't, I don't want to have to do it. But I guess if no one else is going to do it, you might do it. There's an idea. I love just giving out ideas. Because for me, it's just like that kind of Tom Sawyer fence painting. It's like, please, I'm going to, could you do it for me? I'd rather, I'd rather, even if you have all the glory and the money, I just really want to get out of it. Not the show so much. Um, but... Oh, Jeff sent me some spam. I didn't even reply to him personally yet. Here, I'm telling a story about some spam about uh, spam comes to the, the station about automating your podcast so that they could fully automate my show for me. They were offering, so I wonder how that would go. So I don't know. Maybe there's a robot next week. Maybe I'll sign up and, and there'll be a robot Hardy, and I won't even have to worry about it anymore. It'll be just done for me. And maybe there'll be another like, who's the new Hardy? Like the new Darren. Um, That'd be good. I wonder if I can make an arrangement. I'm going to talk to the station. Maybe if you donate for the Hellraiser, you could do this. Donate money right now because we're raising money. For You love the station and love it more than me, so give money. Um, I don't care whose name you give it in. I end up still being on it. But I'm going to talk to them about, say, hey, keep my show, and then somebody's got to do like an impression on me for the next, for the next uh, of me for the next 10 years. Uh, oh, I'm Harry White, now I'm like that. It'd be great. It wouldn't be great. It would be great. I think it'd be good. I'm sure it's happened before. Everybody who ever took The Tonight Show should have been called Steve Allen or something, you know? Like Jack Parr is, uh, as Steve Allen. And then would be like Johnny Carson as Steve Allen. And that'd be better. Like Andy Griffith Show, if he left, when he left, they should have replaced him. They should have just said, this guy's Andy Griffin. So, I don't know. Griffith, Griffin. Merv Griffith. Merv, Merv Griffin, Andy Griffith. That got me as a kid. 
I understood that. I go, why did they do that? And I go, they didn't coordinate it. So it was very confusing. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. You're listening to Miracle Nutrition with Hardy White on WFMU, East Orange, WMFU, Mount Hope, 91.9, and in Rockland County in New York City, New York, and online, WFMU.org, worldwide. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you again next week.
just want you to understand. Understand what? Well, I understood. When you had another. Wow, 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 wow.